0: The following message was recorded at Shaare Zion Messianic Synagogue in Colorado Springs. I encourage, uh, I, I encourage us to read the various readings for the week. Whether it's the Torah portion, Haftorah portion, Berakha Um I would definitely encourage you to spend maybe a little bit of extra time uh, this reading cycle. Now that we have finished up Revelation, on the Berakha D'Shah portion, because I'm going to be speaking a little bit more on the teachings of Yeshua. This week, we're going to go to Luke 5, beginning in verse 12. And now while Yeshua was in one of the towns, a man covered with Sa'arat appeared, and when he saw Yeshua, he fell on his face, and he begged him, saying, Master, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Yeshua stretched out his hand, and he touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the za'arat left him, and Yeshua ordered him to tell no one, but commanded him, go and show yourself to the kohanim, the priests, then bring an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Rabbonu Shalom, Master of the universe, I come before you, and I ask that you would speak your words of truth to me. Um, I asked Father that uh, you would give me the wisdom and understanding to teach properly, and that your people would be blessed amen i 'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have read this passage at one time or another or familiar with this passage of the healing of the leper right most translations uh, most translations use the term leper. Uh, I use the term or the uh, Tree of Life version specifically uses the term uh, uh, tzara, tzarat, uh because it has a greater impact than leprosy and because that's the Hebrew term that is used. And, and that would have been the affliction that this man was afflicted with. So while in one of the villages, the disciples saw a man coming towards him. And this man, I, I want you to picture in your mind's eye what this must have been like. This man wore a cloth over his nose and his mouth just over here. you know. His hair was uncovered, his head was uncovered, his air, hair was unkept. His clothes were torn and his skin displayed rashes. He was a leper. A leper. A dead man walking. He was in effect what we think of as a zombie. For all the younger folks around here, he was a zombie. He was uh, he was basically forced to mourn his own death. Okay, He was afflicted with this, this ailment, the, uh, this affliction, in Hebrew that's called sa'arat, in which he was exiled from the community. He was exiled uh, from his family, he was exiled from the, uh, from the town, from the community, and he was forced to rend his garments, to keep his hair unkept. All of those, uh, all of those things the Torah commands that they, are, that if a person who's afflicted with a rot, uh, that the person, that the Torah commands that person do, is all things associated with mourning. It was mourning, right? So God was saying, "You are to mourn your own death, even though you're alive. You are the walking dead." Biblical leprosy. When we think of leprosy, the reason the the Tree of Life version uses the Hebrew term rather than most translation. Leprosy is because biblical leprosy is not the same thing as Asian leprosy or what we refer to as Hansen's disease. It's not the same thing at all. The symptoms that are described in the Torah does not line up with what we know of Hansen's disease. The term, uh, the term saarat, uh, which is translated generally as a, a leprosy is a term referencing various skin diseases or skin ailments. But it's used to reference more than just a skin disease, but it also refers to mildew-like substances that appears upon clothing and a house. Rashi, one of the few times I agree with Rashi, Rashi makes a good point that Saara is really a blessing of God. Because according to the rabbis, Sa'arat is an affliction of God. God has, God has given this person this affliction specifically for the sin of slander. For the sin of slander. We can go back to the story uh, to the Torah where Miriam. Miriam begins to slander and talk negatively about, about Moses and his Kushite wife. And as a result, she is afflicted with Sa'arat. She is exiled from the community, but God, Moses prays for her and God heals her, but only after a set time and allows her back into the camp. So the rabbis say that Tzaharat is an affliction that is given by God as a punishment for slander. Okay, and the, Rashi explains that the reason, the reason that this affliction would appear upon the home it's because it was a warning sign. It was a warning that God was saying, slander is going out of this house, and if it doesn't stop, it's going to go to the next level. If it didn't stop, then it would appear upon the very clothing of the person who was involved in a slander. And only after the third attempt, only after the third attempt, did, the, uh, did it appear upon the very skin of a person. Now, whether that is true or not, I think, you know, it in which we can associate all three things as a a progressive step of judgment, the reality is that Scripture seems to be pretty clear that Tzaharat is an affliction of God. And only God can take it away. When someone was diagnosed with Tzaharat, they were to dress in mourning and, and exile themselves from the camp of Israel they were in a ritual state of impurity, of uncleanliness that can only be compared to a human corpse. The two most unclean things found in the Torah is a person afflicted with Sa'arat and a corpse. Can you see the connection? That person is essentially a corpse. They are a living corpse. What... What was most, the most difficult aspect of having Sa'arat was probably not the fact that they were contaminated. And yes, they were contaminated. There are two different types of impurity in Scripture. We think of contamination or uncleanliness. There are two different types. Okay, One is when one simply becomes unclean. Another is when one becomes contaminated. That mean, the contamination means that one is the source of the uncleanliness, the other means that they have taken on the uncleanliness of another source, and they are to immerse themselves. Usually, they have to wait until that evening. They are to immerse themselves, and then they are cleansed again. But a person who is contaminated, and the Torah becomes the source of the uncleanliness. So, a person afflicted with sa'arat was a contamination. But that was not the most difficult issue here. The most difficult issue is the most difficult part of being contaminated with Sa'arat was that you were exiled from family. You were exiled from your friends. You were exiled from the temple and the community. You were to live outside of the temple, outside of the community. You had no contact with your loved ones. Can you imagine how difficult that would have been? I spoke to you about the uncleanliness of a leper, or someone afflicted with sa'arat. Even sharing, just like uh, a contamin- or a, a corpse, a human corpse, sharing the same enclosed space with someone with sa'arat, sa'arat could render someone ritually unclean. A touch of a leper reaching out and touching their skin would immediately give someone an an, an impurity. They would immediately become unclean on the same level as if they would have touched a human corpse. In order to keep the people of Israel in a state of ritual purity so that they can come near to God and to worship at the temple, those afflicted with Sa'arat were exiled from the communities, from the local towns and from their families. The laws governing Sa'arat isolated the leper from society and compelled them to mourn their own death by covering their faces, rending their garments, and keeping their hair uncut. When we read this passage in Luke, and this man who is afflicted, they see this man who who is afflicted with Sa'arat. He's coming towards them. And I'm sure the disciples immediately, their eyes got wide. And like, Oh my gosh, what do we do? What do, we do Nope, keep away. Don't come close. Keep away. Stay! Keep your distance. You know. And he comes, he begins to come near. And I'm sure Yeshua would stand around. Calm down, calm down, calm down. Just wait. And he comes and he says to Yeshua, he said, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. And Yeshua said, I am willing. And he reached out his hand. Now notice in these passage, these passages, it seems as if Luke is slowing down this picture for a reason. Okay, there is significance in what is happening here. When we read the healing of the leper, we oftentimes think of just like a number of other healings that we find. After all, we know that Yeshua, you know, y- Yeshua performed many miracles. John tells us that you know, it, there's no books in the world that could that could record all the miracles. That he performed. So, why does it choose this one to, perform, to, to record? It's not just one amongst many miracles. This one's very specific. He reaches out his hand, and slow, it, Luke is, is giving us a slow motion picture. He stretches out his hand, and he reaches out, and he touches him. He lays his hand upon him, and he cleanses him. I want you to think about something for a moment. Well, let me back up. The rabbis list this is very ancient. It's a very ancient tradition that teaches that based upon the Torah, the signs of the Messiah, we know the Messiah has come when he performs specifically three miracles. There are three miracles the Messiah would perform. And if someone were able to perform these three miracles, that is a sign that they are the Messiah. Okay? When we understand that, then we understand why Luke recorded this passage here, this healing here. Okay? The three signs of the promised Messiah. One is that the Messiah would come and he would ex. Ex. He would put. I hate saying exercise because it just doesn't sound right. He would perform an exorcism on a mute demon. No one could, no one could, could cast out a mute demon. It was uh, part of Jewish tradition, and it was effective, that if you knew the name of a demon, you could cast that demon out. But how would you cast out a mute demon? In other words, a demon that possessed a man or a woman who was mute, who could not speak. How would you cast that demon out? The only way that that could happen, according to their rabbis, was the Messiah, would, the Messiah would cast out a demon without knowing its name. Without the ability to know its name. That was the first sign. The second sign was that the, only the Messiah would heal a man who was born blind. Only the Messiah would heal a man who was born blind. Not just a man who was blind, but a man who was born blind. The third is that only the Messiah would heal a Jewish leper. No one, outside of Miriam, which is a divine touch from the hand of God, no one has ever been able to heal somebody who was afflicted with Saarat. Now, we do find uh, uh, Naaman was afflicted with... with, uh, with leprosy. And it does use the term Zaharat. But that's why the rabbi, and, and again, that was an issue of divine touch. That was an issue of divine touch in which he was simply obedient to what God had called him to do. But he was not a, he was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. So, that's why the rabbis say that outside of Miriam, no Jew had ever been healed of Zaharat. Therefore, one of the signs of the Messiah was the healing of a man, a Jewish man, or a Jewish woman for that matter, of, with Sa'arat. That's why it records this passage, because he was healing a man that everybody thought was, this is a death sentence. This is a man afflicted with death. This is a man that it, it is virtually impossible to heal. You can almost, in, in, in some ways, you can almost compare... The uh, the affliction of Tsa'arat with the outbreak of the AIDS virus in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, and the paranoia that was associated with it, and the paranoia of even touching somebody, you know, and that's what the mentality was. You keep away. No, don't touch me. Don't come near me. Don't have anything to do with us. But do you notice that these three miracles, these three signs? they all were performed by Yeshua. All three of them were, were performed by Yeshua as a testimony that He is the Messiah. When we understand the reason for Tsa'arat, according to the sages, we can understand why the healing of a leper or someone afflicted with Tsa'arat was a sign of Messianic identity. Traditional Judaism, as I said, teaches that Tsa'arat is an affliction of God and is a form of punishment. The leper, because he was being punished for specifically the sin of slander, he was experiencing in a physical form the exile that they had inflicted upon another. They had inflicted exile upon another by slandering that person. So they would experience that same type of exile. Because it was an affliction of God, only God can remove it. That's why, whether it was the case of, of, of Naaman or Miriam, in both cases, no one laid hands upon them. No one, uh, no one performed a miracle. It was simply the hand of God decided to heal. The hand of God. No one can claim, look what I did. Look. No one can claim, look, I have the gift of healing. That was the hand of God. Now, It is is at this point that just this type of leper who throws himself down at the master's feet, he falls at the master's feet and he says, Master, if you are willing, you can make me clean. There are a couple important points to remember. The man did not say, Can you heal me of this disease? He did not say, look, I'm going to die from this. Can you please heal me? Can you take away this disease? No, he said, will you remove from me this impurity, this uncleanliness? Remember what I, I spoke of? A person who was afflicted with tzaraat was exiled from their family and their friends and from the temple. That was the most heart-wrenching part of it, is the exile that they experienced, And this man's heart was crying out, please remove this uncleanliness for me so that I can join back together with my family. And then he also says, if you are willing. I want you to think about that for a moment. Remember, no one, no one could heal leprosy or tzarat. No one had performed a miracle of the healing of a leper since the time of Miriam. It was unheard of. But remember, the healing of a man or a woman with leprosy or tsarat was one of the signs of the Messiah. So when this man said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Do you understand the huge statement of faith that this man had? He was saying, you are the king. You are the king Messiah. And if you would choose to do so, you can make me clean. Not only was he saying that you are the Messiah, but remember, it's, it's it was an affliction from God. He was saying that you are the Messiah, the divine man come in the flesh. And if you are willing, you can cleanse me. You can remove this impurity for me. According to the Torah, the authority to declare a leper clean or unclean rests only upon the Levitical priesthood, Right? The Torah says, when a man is afflicted, he thinks he's afflicted with tzaraat, then he shall go to the priest, and a priest shall examine him if he meets all these signs, and the priest shall send him in exile. If a man thinks he's been healed, then he, which obviously never happened, but if a man thinks he was healed, he would, must go to the priests and he must show himself to the priests, and he was not he was not allowed back into the community until the priest witnessed. The healing. They saw his skin and then they said, okay, you are healed. Now you shall perform the ritual, ceremonial sacrifices, then you can be allowed back into society. But he had to go to the priests for both a declaration of his impurity and a declaration of his cleansing. If he should recover, only a priest would declare him purified. The rituals that he was to perform was not a pure cure for leprosy. It had nothing to do with it. It wasn't a, a ritual of, okay, if I do all these things, and that, you know, then God will heal me. No, he was already healed at that point. He must have been already healed. Once he was already cleansed, then he would perform a purification through this, these sacrifices to remove the uncleanliness that was left by this affliction. It was a final step of removing the uncleanliness when he had already been healed. Tsa'arat had no cure. According to the sages, the curing of a leper was even more difficult than even raising the dead. It was more difficult than even raising the dead. So let's go back to Luke. Yeshua stretched out his hand. He touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately, the ta'arat left him. Filled with compassion, the master reached out his hand. He touched him. Miraculously, the man's skin began to heal. However, by touching the leper, the master did what? Caitlin. Caitlin. By touching the leper, the master did what upon himself? Yes. I want to disagree with that. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with that. Okay. And the reason being is this by touching the leper, the master took upon himself ritual impurity. Why would he have done this? What purpose? For this, why would he have become ritually un- impure at that point? Remember, a person who was unclean—this was not a sin. It wasn't an issue of him sinning. Okay, it was an issue of him intentionally taking on. He could have just spoken words, couldn't he? He could have just said, "Be healed," and he's done. But he set his hand out. He touched him. He took on the uncleanliness of the leper for a reason. You're on the right path. You're on the right path. You, yes. It is a sign of a bigger word picture, but there's a, spe, there's a specific reason why it was a leper here, or someone afflicted with sa'arat. There's a specific reason it was that person, or a, a, it was a person with sa'arat. Okay? And I'll, I'll explain that in just a moment. The first, thing, first point I'd like to make is that we forget the fleshly side of the master. Right? Yes, he is divine, but he is also king. He is also man. He is also born of the flesh of David. And if he reached out and touched this leper, wouldn't he have been in sin if he ignored the uncleanliness and then went to go worship in the temple? He would have disobeyed the Torah. He was a man of the flesh, just as much as he was divine. He was a man who had come in the flesh. But specifically, by coming in the flesh, he identified with our sufferings. He identified with the same pains and the consequences of those pains that we have in the flesh. He experienced pain, he experienced temptation. He experienced the hurt and the suffering that we have experienced. And he did that so that he specifically could identify with us and what we are going through. When we examine the laws of the ashes of the red heifer, which is used to cleanse from the defilement of death, we find that the priest... Who prepares the ashes? Remember the okay. The ashes of the red heifer is used to sprinkle upon somebody who has come into who has come into contact with a corpse. Okay, but do you know that the ashes that were of the red heifer that was used it was used in this purification water? And it was, it was mixed in this water, and this water was used to sprinkle upon somebody. And in Hebrew, the, the, that water is simply called, and I'm, trans, I'm translating it for you, the waters of impurity. The, do you know the priest who prepares the ashes of the red heifer becomes unclean in the process? That priest must come in a state of perfect purity, and yet, in the process of cleansing somebody who was afflicted with the contamination of death, he would intentionally take upon himself uncleanliness, impurity, so as to heal someone else. Our master is the great high priest. He is our healer. And just as the priest who prepared the ashes of Red Heifer to cleanse a person who is afflicted with death, here is a person whose very body was death wasn't just somebody who had touched a dead body. Their very body was death. And he, as our great high priest, reached out and he touched him and he took upon himself intentionally the uncleanliness of that man to identify with us, to identify with what we are going through, and to cleanse him. Are you following me? In no way, shape, or form was he, as some would say, that he was teaching, by touching a man, he was simply teaching us that the laws of ritual purity and impurity have become obsolete. No, that's, that's not the case at all. And I know certainly that's not what Caitlin was suggesting in any way, shape, or form. But there are certainly those within our Christian brothers and sisters who would make that assumption. And that's not what he's doing here at all. That's the Talmud, specifically, the Talmud teaches us that the suffering servant of Isaiah 53.4. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Isaiah 53.4 for a moment. The Talmud teaches us that the suffering servant of Isaiah 53.4 takes the disease of Sa'arat upon himself for the sake of Israel. If somebody has that, they want to read it real quick. Isaiah 54 3. No, 53, 4. Isaiah 53 4. Yes, that, those last few words. Smitten of God and afflicted. Afflicted. The rabbis say the affliction that he was given was tzarat. The uncleanliness of death. And in order to cleanse us from the defilement of death, he takes on the uncleanliness of a leper so that we would be made whole. The, Isaiah, the, the ancient rabbis in the Talmud understood that this was a messianic prophecy of the Messiah, and they referred to the Messiah based upon this passage as the leper Messiah. They call him the leper Messiah. Let me, let me read to you. In Tractate Sanhedrin 98b, and the rabbis, sent, the rabbis say his name is the leper, and those of the house of rabbis say... As it is said, surely our sickness he bore himself and our sorrows he carried. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. There's another story in, the, in this tractate, in tractate uh, 98b, regarding the leper Messiah. Give me a drink, real quick. Some of you might be familiar with this because I know I've mentioned it before. Of, I think it's, it, I believe it's Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Eliezer, I think. I'll have to double check on that. But I believe it's Rabbi Eliezer who's gone to visit his rabbi's grave. Okay, and when he goes there, he sees uh, he, he sees uh, the, the prophet Elijah. Elijah, Elijah, no, Elijah, yeah. <laughs> he sees the prophet Elijah, and he asks Elijah, he asks this question, he says... Um, Will I, you know, will I inherit the world to come? And he said, well, why don't you go ask the Messiah? How can I ask him? And, Rabbi, and El, Elijah tells Rabbi Eliezer, he says to him, he says, he's over there with the lepers. He's sitting with the lepers. And, and Rabbi Eliezer says to Elijah the prophet, and he says, Elijah, why is he over there with the lepers? And how do I know which one is him? And Rabbi Eliezer says he's, he's over there with the lepers. He has agreed to take upon the afflictions of Israel. You will know which one is him because when the other lepers change their bandages, they all take off all of their bandages at once and then they wrap themselves all at once again. But there's only one person over there that unwraps and wraps one bandage at a time. That's the Messiah. So Rabbi, so Rabbi Eliezer asks Elijah the prophet, and he asks him, he says, well, why does he do that? Why does he only unwrap one at a time? And he says, and, and Rabbi, or Elijah the prophet says to him, he says, because he wants to be ready when he's called. He doesn't want to be delayed. When the father calls him, he wants to be ready, and he doesn't want to be, to be weighted down by having to wrap his whole body. He will only wrap one bandage at a time. By touching the leper, Yeshua identified with a man's lowly state, and he took upon himself the uncleanliness caused by man's affliction, just as a suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Just as he intentionally took upon himself the leper's impurity in order to heal him, so too he intentionally takes upon himself human mortality to heal us. He intentionally took upon himself our sin to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He took on himself the very impurity of death as a result of our sin so that he can cleanse us. The master then, he directs the man, he says, okay, I want you to show yourself to the priest and perform the proper ritual so that the priest may declare him pure. For those who would say that, you know, that Yeshua taught that the Torah was null and void. Well, clearly Yeshua teaches him, okay, you have been healed. Now do what the Torah says, right? Go do what the Torah says and show yourself to the priests and perform the proper sacrifices so that you then can be declared pure by the priests. I mean, at this point, Yeshua had already healed him. Yeshua had already reached out and he had touched him. He had healed him. What's the point of going to the priests? What's the point of going to these ritual sacrifices? Isn't it kind of redundant at this point? The Yeshua, the healing of the leper, Yeshua demonstrates both his authority and also, now hear me correctly on this, the limit of his authority. But he is divine, he is God come into flesh. How can there be a limit to his authority? Remember, he is the author of the Torah. He is the foundation of the Torah. And he gave the right and the responsibility in a human form for the priests of the Aaronic line to declare clean and unclean. Right? He was following Torah by sending the priest, by sending this man to the priest and saying, I want you to present yourself and show them that you are clean. Now imagine the priest's surprise. What? You've been cleansed of leprosy. That should have been a huge statement for the priesthood to wake up and say, here's the Mashiach. Here he is. But it's also a huge statement of how corrupt they had become where they missed such an obvious, an obvious miracle. Anyways. Why did he say, don't go tell anybody? He was early. He was still early in his ministry at that point. He, they, the, the, the. I believe the disciples didn't understand at that point what his ministry was. And you saw what had happened when he went from place to place, and people followed him. He didn't have the opportunity to teach his disciples properly, or, or what have you, because he was always trying to escape the crowds that followed him because they wanted miracles. They wanted, okay, I need you to heal my son. I need you to heal this person. I need you to do this or do that. You know? And when he saw them, he had great compassion on them, and he did. Okay? But he has a greater mission that went above and beyond just a miracle worker. A miracle worker, and they wanted to anoint him Messiah. They wanted to anoint him as king and say, here, he's the king. Go out there and kick the Romans' <laughs> you know, Kick them in the tuchuses and get them out of here. And that's not what he came to do at that point. He said, No, I've got a greater mission, and my greater mission is not is, is, is not the exile of Rome from Israel. It's not the defeat of Rome, but the greater mission is the defeat of death over corruption. And they weren't going to allow him that mission if they kept following him, insisting on him, you know, insisting on anointing him king. Does it make sense? So I believe that's why he was trying to remain incognito, you know, and trying to say, no, don't don't be doing this right now because I'm not interested in people putting a crown on me right now. I'm not interested in people putting a crown on me and, and parading me through the town. That was only to happen on his last trip to Jerusalem when he was on a donkey and he came to die for our sins. But his disciples, even his own disciples still at that point didn't understand. They didn't understand the greater mission that was there. And, and I believe only after his death and resurrection did they go, uh-huh. Now I get it. Now I get it. They didn't understand it. They were confused. They, what? Even Peter. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here. But even Peter, you know, even Peter says, God, God forbid. I'm not going to let that happen. Get thee behind me, Satan. You know, Peter wasn't gonna. He Peter said, "I'm going to take up the sword and I'm going to defend you. I'm not going to let you be taken captive and and killed by the Romans." Are you kidding me? Even at that point, late in Yeshua's ministry on earth, he didn't get it. Peter didn't get it. So there was a lot of things that he needed to spend time with them alone, teaching them. Anyways, let me get back. So the master directs him in to show himself to the priests, right? The healing of the leper, like I said, demonstrates both the authority of Yeshua and the limit of his authority. Remember that there are two orders of priests ordained by God in the Torah. The first being the priestly order of Aaron, right? There's a priestly order of Aaron in which God specifically gives them the right to serve in the temple, right? And to come near to God in the the earthly temple and to declare human flesh pure or impure, clean or unclean. That's all they had the authority to do. They'd never seen anybody healed. It was completely outside of their perspective. But they were to declare someone clean or unclean. In, In almost every case except this one, it was declaring people unclean, you know. They had authority, clear authority, as defined by the Torah, to declare pure and impure. But they had no authority to heal, because this was an affliction of God. They had no authority to heal, only to declare clean and unclean. The Master, Yeshua the Messiah, on earth, the book of Hebrews teaches us this, the author of Hebrews teaches us this, on earth, he was the Mashiach from the line of David, right? Right? But he is also a priest. He is a high priest, but from a completely different order. Not from the order, right, of Aaron, but from the order of Melchizedek. That's right. He was a priest from the order of Melchizedek, which is a different priestly order, okay, that did not have authority to minister in the temple in Jerusalem, but they had a different authority. The priestly order of Melchizedek was manifest in heaven. Because remember, when God showed Moses the temple tabernacle, he said, I want you to make it just as I have shown you. There is a tabernacle in heaven, otherwise known as the courtroom of God, in which they made the earthly to represent the heavenly throne room of God. And the priests from the line of Aaron were to minister in the earthly throne room. Yeshua ministers his high priestly status in the heavenly throne room, in the heavenly tabernacle. It's a different priestly order, right? On earth he did not have the he did not have the authority, because he was from the line of David, to declare clean or unclean. But he had, being from the order of Melchizedek, a high priest from the order of Melchizedek, he had the order, he, he had the authority to cleanse which was much greater than just simply declare pure and impure. He operated on a different authority that was able to cleanse of leprosy, which no one had been able to do at that point. The priestly order of Melchizedek represents the authority of the heavenly priesthood being manifest on the earth. It is what we would refer to as the full authority of the kingdom of God being manifested on the earth. I'm almost finished. The authority to heal. The authority to heal. This is something the Aaronic priesthood could never do. They did not have the authority to heal. Let's look at at, at Matthew 16, verse 19. The master says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, whatever you permit on earth will be permitted, excuse me. Will be permitted in heaven. He gave them the authority of the kingdom of heaven, the authority of the keys of the kingdom of heaven on earth to minister. Now I'm speaking to the Messianic community as a whole. I'm not speaking to us specifically. I'm speaking to the Messianic community as a whole. So I want you to hear that. But I want to ask a simple question. A simple question that should penetrate all of our hearts. And this simply this. By whose authority do we operate within the kingdom of heaven? We are called to bear witness, to minister, and to bring forth the kingdom of heaven upon the earth. And by whose authority do we operate when we go forth for the sake of the kingdom of heaven? Is it the Aaronic... Uh, priestly order? Is it the heavenly priestly order after the order of Melchizedek? Right? One declares clean and unclean. The other heals. Are you following me? Why then do we in the Messianic community insist on operating within the priestly authority of Aaron? We have taken that authority upon ourselves and say that I am going to operate in the priestly authority of Aaron to simply declare clean and unclean. That's my responsibility. I'm going to go around declaring clean and unclean. We pass judgments on those that we pass judgments that are not ours to pass. We use the Torah as a broomstick against our Christian brothers and sisters for not eating kosher or for celebrating Christmas or for worshiping on Sunday. We act more concerned about the purity of a kitchen than we do the purity of our spirit. The truth is that most of the laws of purity pertain to the temple in Israel, specifically. Now we can talk about issues of family purity that are outside of that, but most of the laws of purity are pertain to the temple in Israel, And yet we want to take the authority to declare clean and unclean to everyone around us, specifically to our brethren in the church and in the synagogue. We operate in the spirit of pride, assuming that we have been given this authority. Why do we not operate within the, within the authority of the kingdom of heaven? Why do we, and again, I'm not talking about us as a congregation. I'm talking about as a Messian community as a whole. Why do we insist on operating within the authority of the Aaronic priesthood? That's not our authority. It was not, unless you're from the tribe of Aaron, that's not your authority. Yeshua calls us to a greater authority that is to operate within the authority of the order of Melchizedek. He calls us out to be priests of the, from the order of Melchizedek and to act for the sake of His kingdom, not declaring clean and unclean, although there, that plays a part. I don't want you to misunderstand. But cleaning, cleansing, making whole. Touching the unclean. The authority of the kingdom of heaven is a real life-changing authority. The authority of the kingdom of heaven heals broken hearts and afflictions of the spirit. The authority, after the order of Melchizedek, cleanses the hearts and the minds of impurity. And the authority after the order of Melchizedek, forgives those who hate us. Finally, this authority, after the order of Melchizedek, calls us to be like our Messiah and to touch the untouchables. He calls us to go to the margins of society. Not, he doesn't he didn't say you were to cross that, but he does say you are to go to the margins of society and to touch those that no one is willing to touch? Are we willing to be like Yeshua and to reach out and to touch the leper? Are we willing to sit down with the homeless drug addict who is in need of help and to minister to them God's love and compassion? Are we willing to forgive those who have harmed us? Are we willing to minister love and compassion to the drug addicts and the prostitutes we're we willing to touch the untouchables we need to forget about the authority that was not given to the, most of us anyway that's the authority to simply declare pure and impure but and but remember there's a greater authority that operates within us that authority to make whole that authority to cleanse that is the authority that operates within us, He has called us to go out and to change the world. And we do that. Amen. The message you have just heard was recorded at Zion Messianic Synagogue in Colorado Springs. You can learn more about us at shaareseon.com That's S-H-A-A-R-E-Y-T-Z-I-O-N ncom if you have questions or want to contact us, please email us at thegatesofzion@hotmail.com. hotmail.com. If you live in Colorado Springs or find yourself in the area, please stop by and visit with us. We have services every Saturday morning at 1030 a.m. You can find us at 4680 Edison Avenue, Unit D, near the intersection of Platt and wooten Shalom, and thanks for listening.